Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Voices of a Healthy Ocean series. I am your co-host, Jenna Valente. And I am your co-host, Sarah Winter Whelan. And we could not be more excited to be here today on Staten Island with our dear friend and partner of the Healthy Ocean Coalition, Mac Cardona. Mac is a wildlife biologist and a visual story sharer who is called to action by her many years of experience in the scientific field where she identified how some communities are excluded in sharing in the beauty of nature through inaccessible information and places. Mac, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure and a delight to be here with you both um, out sitting in the beach enjoying this gloomy but wonderful day. Yeah, so for listeners, you probably can hear the very natural background that we have. That is not sound that's been added in post. That is actually the ocean. Uh, Mac, will you tell us a little bit about the place that we're in today and why you chose for us to gather here? Yeah, absolutely. So we are uh, sitting um, at uh, Great Kills Beach, as you mentioned, in Staten Island, which is found within the Gateway National Recreation Area. Um, and um, I chose it um, because it's just such a wonderful place to do all kinds of different things. Um, you have people here running or biking. There's also spaces where you can do um, like a more quiet walk with by yourself or with your dog and um, it just it just captures the 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 area or the beach in a very peaceful way which I find very comforting mm. and, and and very enjoyable yeah I love that what would you say are some of your favorite ways to connect with nature whether it's here or somewhere else on Staten Island or anywhere really yeah my my I think that my my favorite way to connect with nature is really just going for a walk in that space. Um, I think that if I'm out biking or running or hiking, I'm biking, running and hiking and it gets a little distracting. I, I'm more focused on the physicality of the activity. But when I'm walking, right, it doesn't take as much energy or focus to mm -hmm. just walk. And I can then direct my attention to the, my surroundings, the, the smells, the sounds, the yeah. noises, um, whatever it is that I'm around. And, and that's really the best way for me to uh, uh, enjoy nature and really connect with it. Yeah, yeah, you can fully be present. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, what do you love most about the ocean since we are sitting on the beach looking out at the ocean? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, that's a really, uh, that is a very big question. But if I had to narrow it down to one thing, because there are many, many things that I love right. about the ocean, is... Um, I suppose the, the multi-layers or the multi-dimensions that exist in one thing, the ocean can be peaceful, it can be a, a violent, it can be dangerous, it can be destructive, it can, it's also full of life. Um, so it has all of these various, depending on where you're on the ocean um, and what's happening at that moment, it has all these things ha are part of the one thing, which is the ocean, mm -hmm. which I love. Uh, uh, that's what I love the most about it. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing like a like you can. The storm is coming in. And you're standing on the beach, looking at like a mad, angry ocean. Mm. I find that so powerful. 
just so. like the sheer power of it all it's unbelievable and then like the next day it can be so calm very, like very glass cal- exactly. yeah very, very calm and peaceful yeah. yeah well we can follow up that big question with another big broad question <laughs> so we like to ask people this i mean it's in our name the healthy ocean coalition um and something that sarah and i and i know probably a lot of other people have considered is you know, what does a healthy ocean mean to you or what does it look like to you? And I think it's fascinating because you could ask every single one of us that question or all of these people I'm looking at at the beach mm-hmm. and they probably will have a different answer. So I'm curious to know more about uh, that. That turn overhead probably has some thoughts mm-hmm. on it, too. But um, what is a what does a healthy ocean mean to you or look like to you? Yeah, so I think that um as you, as you as you started with with the question it is a big one um if i had to pick one thing um the first thing that comes to mind is just the word balanced and now balanced means so many different things and i mean all of those different things mm-hmm. um ecologically balanced um uh, access uh, the accessibility to the ocean balance uh, so that it's you know there's equity within that um how we use the ocean uh, who gets to use the ocean, as I mentioned, um, all that has to be balanced for it to be a healthy ocean, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I love that answer, the balance of it all, which sometimes we're great at <clears throat> getting to and sometimes not so much, not so as, much yeah. as humans. Um, so let's bring it a little bit closer to home about you. And can you share a little bit with us about what influenced you to follow your career path to become a wildlife biologist? And did you always know you wanted to work in that space to end up as a story sharer in the climate space? Talk a little bit more about that with us. No, yeah, absolutely. So um, it actually took a lot, lot of turns uh, for me to end up where where I did, and I feel like I'm I'm sure I still have a little ways to go, but um, I when when folks are questioning what to do with their career i always use my career as an example not because it was fantastic and perfect and i always knew the answers but because of the opposite because i didn't know all the answers and 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 took lefts and rights which were all additive to what i uh what i'm doing now which is fantastic but um it didn't always quite make sense at the time um, so um, I started to, I've always liked uh, and loved um, animals. That was always my first connection. Whether we had a, it was because we had a dog or some other pets, I always just loved animals. And of course, the default for most folks is veterinary school, right? You love animals, you want to work with animals, you want to then be their doctor. And that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I wanted to work with animals, but I had no idea how. Um, and then I had, um, they had a, uh, a career day. Yes, those work <laughs> at my high school. I am, I am an example of that. And um, there was a, a woman who was a wildlife biologist for um, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, which is the organization that kind of uh, manages the zoo there at, in San Diego. And, um, and they have another park a- as well. And she was studying uh, the, the cheetahs. And, um, oh, cool. and, and it just after the, her talk and she explained her work I think she was focused on behavior um, I was just mm. amazed it, it was it just blew my mind that there was somebody out there doing this kind of work and um, and so I went up to her after <laughs> after the presentation and I asked her a bunch of questions um, she pointed me towards 
which at the time was called Humboldt State University, mm-hmm. which is now called Cal Poly Humboldt, and um, and told me about their wildlife program. And I was like, what? There's a wildlife program? What is this? <laughs> and so I went on uh, a road trip, just like <laughs> you all yes. are now, and uh, with some friends and, and my sister, and uh, to check it out, and it was just so amazing to see the campus and Mm. and look at the kind of classes that they had and that's it was just I mean from when she's when when she gave her the talk I already knew that's what I wanted to do (laughs) that was I had found it but it really just cement you know the the idea cemented when I was there at the school and it was just wow uh, just thinking about how I had no idea how this existed and how much I needed it to be in my life to quote uh, my cousin and uh, so it was once I, I started doing that then it was uh, all about wildlife and learning all the skills that a city kid had no clue about and uh, so learning about the right shoes and the right clothing so you're not drenched when you're mm. out in the field that sort of thing that was really really exciting um, and then uh, later on I just noticed the disconnect between the scientific community and the general public. When I was telling my story, specifically in my community that happens to be the, the Latinx community, um, I would tell my family about what I was doing and they were confused or had lots of questions and didn't understand how that could be something t- that you could actually make a living with. And so that that actually got me thinking about storytelling in, high communi- in science communication. And um, it just so happened that when I was shifting into grad school, I already had my grad uh, project all set up. Um, my advisor got a grant to do a, um, a, a basically a film project and asked me if I was interested. Mm-hmm. And I was like, again, another, wait, what? This, I can do this, right? I didn't have any examples in my career. Uh, when I was growing up about people that looked like me, sounded like me, that was, that was out doing, you know, nature shows and things like that. And so um, I was... Of course, I did the, 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 the reasonable thing, and I ran away for about a month uh, to Mexico <laughs> with my family yeah. to really think about what it meant to walk away from research and, mm. and get into storytelling. Yeah. What, did I want to do that? Was I ready for that? Um, and it's as silly as it sounds now, wh- where would I stand within the scientific community and et cetera? You know, those silly little things that we think about when we're young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, though, I mean, I find I follow a lot of Um, folks who work in sciences on say Twitter as an example and there's a lot of that going on even now within you know people who've been working in academia for decades or a decade and they're questioning like is this making a difference is this really the path that's going to make the most impact so I don't you're not alone by any means yes yeah, it's no, it's, it's an interesting thing um, when you are in a field like wildlife or any kind of scientific fil- field, you are taught to communicate to other scientists. How do you present and uh, in, in conferences? How do you write scientific journals? Yeah. And then when you start to think about, well, who is really reading this information? Um, obviously, we want to contribute to the big body of, of information that is science, but if but we can't do it on our own. We mm-hmm. need the public, the community, t- yeah. the communities to be a part of that. And in our job, if I may be so uh, so bold, is really to do this research. And all that the public asks is for us to 
relay it back yeah. and you're terrible at that we get caught in this echo chamber all right. the time mm-hmm. yeah and I, I connect I'm sitting here like nodding so vigor- vigorously at everything you're saying because I feel so connected to your story in that um, I, I felt like I had a similar path in in that I felt like maybe I was like steered to go into a, a different direction more of a classic like go work for a business or a corporation and I never really felt like it fit exactly and so I was bouncing around to all these different majors in undergrad which it was like even a question of even if undergrad was right for me but I just sort of was somebody that was doing things because it felt like that was what everybody else was doing Mm -hmm. and um had this moment where I just hit a wall of like I was working for a healthcare company and I I just was so miserable it was not for me and um just started looking around for what the opportunities were that were out there and I found this series of internships at a place in Virginia called Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge and um at UMaine, I ended up getting my degree in communication and journalism with the idea of no matter what I chose, everybody needs good communicators. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that pretty much the only reason they hired me because they hired me on as a biology intern is because they were having difficulty communicating the work that they did on the refuge right. mm-hmm. with the piping plovers and the endangered and nesting right. shorebirds where they'd have to do these big beach closures and people would be frustrated because they want to go to the beach and um, so they they took me in and taught me everything that they do on the refuge and then hired me on as a park ranger and I'd be the person they'd put in front of right. mostly the angry people to like <laughs> explain <laughs> explain why we were doing what we were doing um, but it's it's interesting when you look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, this path is starting to make sense mm-hmm. when it felt very confusing right. the entire time. But there is this like niche path that people can forge for themselves. Absolutely. And it yeah. doesn't have to be the, the classic, you know, academia route, which if it is, that's also great. But if there are people listening that are maybe more interested in story sharing and in that the creative arts and filmmaking and all of that that there's absolutely space here for you and listening to you have that moment with the career fair and the cheetahs I was flashing yeah. back to uh, when I was a, when I was young we lived in Hawaii and um, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer so bad that was the first job I ever wanted I mean come on (laughs) dolphins that sounds amazing I can see that (laughs) so it's like it makes sense that now I work in the the marine and ocean field but um it was was it cheetahs or was there a certain species that you felt like super connected to when you decided to make that jump into becoming a wildlife biologist no, I, you know, actually, interestingly enough, I didn't really have like a favorite animal. I just thought they were all really fascinating for different reasons. Yeah. The just the diversity and how each animal moves and eats and sleeps differently, and they all forge their own their own place uh, in, in on on this planet, and and how they do. It was just all of them. I found fascinating. Um, I'm sure there was like insects weren't my favorite, but. <laughs> There. Sure, the megafauna, of course, because as a kid, you're just like, they're, yeah. they're amazing, yeah. of course. Um, but then, you know, other animals as well, um, other mammals. Uh, more than anything, I suppose mammals. If I had to pick, not so much a species, but maybe a, a, cl- 
class. Yeah, <laughs> we'll it would go up. Be, yeah, let's move up a, a couple of categories there. Um, and mostly mammals is what I what I focused on, what I en- enjoyed, and what I focused on when I studied um, at school. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Um, well, I chuckled a little bit when you were talking about being a dolphin trainer because <laughs> my undergrad is in marine science. I went to University of South Carolina and probably 75% of the people who started as marine science majors wanted to be dolphin trainers so they wanted to like (laughs) right and and then most of those folks realized how hard it is to actually become a dolphin trainer or like work in that field and then they all smartly left and went and picked other majors yeah. about the second semester. And they're like, oh, this is actually probably pretty problematic being yeah. a dolphin well, trainer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, but, that was know, in the early 90s. Yeah, right. 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 Like, my, Where... like, five-year-old brain didn't understand exactly. those nuances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me, it was coral reefs, in 100%. A, I wanted here. to be in a coral reef ecologist. Nice. I, and then I got three-quarters of the way through, and I was like, oh, I don't know that sciences is my strong, are my strong suit is that really what I want to do? And you know, this, that's a story for another day, but, um, coral reefs have always been my jam. Yeah. I'm sitting here looking at Sarah's really cool tattoo. Also, will you describe that for, for the listeners? Yeah. So this is my newest tattoo. Um, it is an Argonaut octopus. Um, it is, um, a black fine line tattoo. Um, Argonaut octopuses are these really cool octopuses. They're small. They're like, you know, 15 inches at most. And they, the females make their own shell. It's actually ah. kind of like an egg case and they live in it. And that's where they brood their eggs because they live in the water column. They don't live on the bottom of the floor where most octopuses do. It's where they find mm-hmm. places to brood their eggs and 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 hole up there so they create these egg cases the females do to you know hold their eggs and to help them stay in the water column so wow. yeah so I guess maybe this is my favorite animal now <laughs> which is probably a good thing because I have it on my body forever well those right those things can shift over time like yeah you know one day you like dolphins and mm-hmm. the next day you're super into like sea otters like yeah. I am. <laughs> well, I actually get that question a lot because I have I have a, a, a tattoo here on my leg I as well that. and it's, it's awesome. not of a mammal. Yeah. It's actually a poison arrow frog. So um, cool. And I get that question a lot when people find out if I, that I am a biologist. They're like, oh, is that the species that you focus on? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, actually. <laughs> I have never studied frogs. Um, but I just, I just, like I said, I, I just loved all of them. And, and it just this one, you know, just spoke to me. And, and I, I yeah. still love it. It's been a while since I've had it. And I still love the fact that I have yeah. it. So Yeah. Um, I think those things just leave an indelible mark, right? So you want to have this permanent mark of something that means something to you. And I think that's why I love tattoos so much of different animals. But um, I wonder, I feel like we kind of um, had a little bit of a segue there. We were talking sort of about your journey and um, to become a wildlife biologist. And there was this sort of um, you know, fork in the path of whether mm-hmm. you continue with your studies right. or you choose this sort of other more divergent path. And I wonder if you can take us back to that place. Cause I was going to ask you, what's it like to be a wildlife biologist? What does it look like on a daily basis when you right. are doing that? But maybe it makes more sense to go back to sort of where you made that decision. Yeah. So, um, so I, I don't know that, you know, I did a, a lot of, I did a lot of work within as a wildlife biologist um more as a student really more than anything um i i realized in grad school that i wanted to become a 
when I made that decision to become a mm-hmm. filmmaker. Um, and so, as far as out in the field, was I? I, I was never really. I never really worked uh, um, as a biologist and that could look like a lot of different ways it could be someone gathering data it could be somebody working as a professor mm. teaching um, those were all the options that I was uh, evaluating as I was making this decision and then I get this like this really hard uh, this really hard addition uh, additional question asked by my advisor and um, and so you know it's interesting uh, around that time um, planet earth was really big and like the TV, this the, TV the, series, the series exactly, and folks were really talking about it, and they were just really excited about it. And um, I'm going to age myself a little bit here. Do at it. the time, um, <laughs> I was working when I was in college. I was working at a blockbuster video. You yes. remember those? Oh, yes. Yes. Of course. Well, so it, it was already towards the end. They were about to all close. It, it was, was like the Netflix. crown jewel of my childhood. <laughs> right? I used to love going to blockbuster. <laughs> well. Well, see, that's the thing is that one thing I didn't mention is that I've always really loved movies. Mm. I was like that kid in high school that would like go to the movies by themselves and just Mm want to watch a movie. Just that journey, that experience, I found it extremely fascinating and wonderful. I mean, my my, my mom and my sister want to go shopping and I'm like, just drop me off at the theater. I'll I'll see you in a couple (laughs) of hours. And um, and so. Um, so I always loved film. So working at Blockbuster was wow. I get to work here and watch all the movies and play all the video games. And um, so you get to know your customers, right? You get to see the the folks that ask for all the horror movies or they ask for all the action movies or, or whatever. But folks were asking for the Planet Earth series. All kinds of folks. And I was like, wow, like it's really resonating yeah. with people. So I have this this thing happening at Blockbuster about Planet Earth. There's uh, and, and the reaction more than anything the reaction of folks to planet earth um, and then this opportunity that was given to me by my professor and so um, So I just sort of clicked why not I've always loved them um, Why not make them interestingly enough? My sister is also a, a filmmaker and so she figured that out a, er, a lot earlier than I did She was she was like I like doing this. I like storytelling uh, She started off with photography ended up in, in t- television media and and film and uh, and went and studied that for and when she told me that at first, I remember I was clueless. I was like, "What do you mean you can get a?" De- I feel like I was clueless a lot of the times. <laughs> what, what do you mean you get a degree in that? What would you do? Yeah. And she's like, "Yeah, I want to do this," yeah. and and that's that's and that's you know. And, and I was like, "Great," but I, I don't I didn't understand. It wasn't so much that I wasn't supportive. I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And so when I started working, when I started thinking about storytelling through the the, because I was just so focused on animals, how much I loved it. I loved animals, and uh, so when I started to see it through that lens, Mm -hmm. things started to click. I'm like, oh, this is a really powerful way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I enjoy movies. She had the foresight to to see herself making them. I didn't even think of myself as making them. Yeah. It was like ages ahead of me, And, and I was like, oh, I can actually do this, tell these kinds of stories and 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 it's all connected it's all communication it's all storytelling so then i then it started to click then i understood Mm. yeah i have that moment quite often actually where it it seems like such a simple thing that i'm gonna say but i'm like another human being is doing that right like i can do that Mm -hmm. so i think about that with like the the creative work that i do with sharing it sometimes that's scary and Mm -hmm. then i'm like well wait anybody that is like a notable photographer or poet or anything like that they had to take that first step to share Mm -hmm. and then once you do it's like the most beautiful thing because you start to recognize people connect with the work and uh 
it's just a really beautiful growing journey, mm-hmm. ever evolving journey. That's right. Um, so now that we're talking a little bit more about story sharing and filmmaking, will you tell us about Sea Wave Labs, what you're doing now? Yeah. So Sea Wave Labs came actually a lot la- later. Um, uh, it's it's what I do now, but. Um, once I, I finished up my grad work in, in filmmaking, um, I, I, I saw it. You mentioned that thing about seeing the person, the one person, the other human being that's doing it. Yeah. And so I went from an already male-dominated field, which is which is science, to an, an a, a very male-dominated field, which is film in general, yeah. especially like wildlife film is, is especially male-dominated. Um, I didn't really see myself in that space. Mm. And um, and as much as I loved, I, I made films for my grad work and everything, but um, I still couldn't, it wasn't quite there yet. Um, and so I started working for a film festival, the San Diego Latino Film Festival, because I was part of like, I need to find my voice. Mm. So I'm gonna spend some time with my community mm. and see what that looks like, what that could look like, what would it be, where do I fit into all this? I feel like all Latinos that live um, in the United States at some point have some sort of identity crisis where they're like, where do I fit in this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, the idea of Latinidad, which is just the Latino identity, is very, very complex and it's very different for, for different folks. Um, you could be someone who doesn't speak English and just got here recently. You could be someone that's been here for generations and doesn't speak Spanish anymore or Portuguese or, or the other uh, languages that are found in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And um, so you fall somewhere in that spectrum and finding out where you are and what your what your pl- quote unquote place is within that identity and within the United States, it can get pretty complicated. And so I wanted to spend time there um, to to find that. And, and it was I loved it. I spent um, so when I went in, when I went into film in grad school, I got bitten by the bug, which is the film bug, and I wanted to do all kinds of film, not just yeah. documentary. I really enjoyed doing because my friends were. I wasn't like one day I was in like film one, and then the, the second day I was in like advanced like mammalogy, <laughs> like within the same semester. Um, that's what my inter you know disciplinary degree looked like. And um, so I had friends who would do narratives, and I would be learning that, and that was really um, interesting and exciting. I wanted to do that as well at some, someday. And then when I spent those, you know, five or six years at the Latino Film Festival, I then got bitten by the events bug of just running an event and having community members come and see this and and inviting guests and the whole coordination of all that was really exciting. So I went to this other little boot camp, if you will. And then I ended up moving to, this is all in California still, um, moving to New York and um, so uh, when I moved to New York, again, my sister, uh, was already out here yeah. and 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 she's like well why don't you come out here you know I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next and you know I didn't have anything that was tying me down so I thought you know what why not it, if I don't do it now I'm never gonna do it right yeah, yeah. so I moved across across the country um, it was less scary for me because I had my sister she did it by herself and uh, and it's been 10 years on the east coast now it was supposed to be temporary, but Time I'm still flies. here. It, it I'm really not saying does. that it is te- it's, it is forever <laughs> still. I might still, still go back, but I'm still yeah. here, and I'm comfortable, and, and it's been interesting. Um, so while I was here, eventually I started working uh, for different types of event jobs, different, you know, you're going to make a living. and um, and but, I've always, but then I started thinking about I wanted to have my own, my own place to do those kinds of stories that I've been 
you know, I, I, I've been, I studied in school for as far as wildlife and nature, and then also Latino voices, that kind of, those kinds of stories. And so uh, that's why I, uh, I founded Sea Wave Labs, um, being a, you know, like a, a creative lab where you can come and, because then it's somewhere in there I started doing VR. Um, just because virtual reality is such a great way to connect with people mm -hmm. um, when it comes to science. So having all those various types of storytelling, digital storytelling, events, things like that, it just made sense to create a, a place to be able to do the kinds of projects that I wanted to do. So that, that would be Sea Wave Labs. Yeah. I love sure. that you're like, I'm going to make this space. <laughs> I, d I didn't, I'm an entrepreneur, I think. Um, <laughs> we don't know if it's going to work, but, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> we'll try. Yeah, well, I, you're doing it. Yeah. You're, you're doing the thing. Yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. Do you think that this is, um, is this your passion, right? Is this sort of where you feel like if you, if you, ha if you had to say how you want to leave the world a little bit better, how you want to make the mark, your mark on the world, do you feel like this is your vehicle speak a little bit more about that yeah and I, and I do say that it's actually part of our mission at Sea Wave Labs mm. um, it's part of our mission statement where um, it's um, it started off with uh, just connecting communities and the power of communities um, but uh, but really just evolved into more how do we what kind of an impact do we want to do we want to leave behind so we're not a nonprofit we're a for-profit company and I think that for-profit companies can do that just as as well yep. we choose the projects that we go after that we either seek them out or the ones that we accept or the ones that we support um, and all that makes a statement about the kind of change that we want to see in the world and the kind of impact that we want to we want to have and hopefully we're leaving it a little better than the way we found it that's that's really our goal yeah. in general for the company yeah so then are there any projects in particular that you find most fulfilling or are most drawn to? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm a bit <laughs> because I've been adding so many different things left and right. I am I have become a, a bit of a jack of all trades and um, and I don't know that I enjoy one more than the other. But uh, filmmaking is most certainly one that has stayed with me mm -hmm. um, the most. Um, I also enjoy events, but filmmaking, storytelling is, has really been um, one of the things that I can see myself doing for a long time and will continue to do, whether if I'm producing or I'm editing. Um, uh, those are the, th th the two things where I tend to focus in. Um, I can definitely see that as being a staple for me for t a long time to come. And I'm, uh, these days I'm very interested in, um, in diversifying or helping diversify uh, the access or the storytelling of the Latino community within this space. Yeah. Um, there are fantastic folks out there um, who have done uh, the research, they've done research projects and they have uh, given us the numbers for the representation of, of the various groups within, within Hollywood films. And uh, and they're pretty. They're they're obviously not the greatest. They haven't been for all, all a lot of marginalized groups. Um, but specifically for my community, we're we're really really low compared to the population that is found here in the United States. Um, and so I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I saw those numbers, uh, I started reading those reports. I've been reading them for a few years now. Mm -hmm. The first time I read them, um, I I. I kind of sobbed a little um, it, it's it's that that the numbers are that dire that um, it's it's become it's always something I wanted to do but it's definitely bumped up on my on my priorities 
And so all around storytelling for, for Latino voices, but I especially see the lack of, of that in the, in the wildlife nature space yeah. specifically. Um, and if we're going to make an impact with those films, that's what we're trying to do. We need to have those voices be incorporated as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I keep coming back to this theme that's running through this this episode is community, right? So when we think Absolutely. about the the work that we do through the Healthy Ocean Coalition and the work that you do with Sea Wave Labs in either whether it's it's working toward a healthy ocean or working toward more representation of the Latinx community in filmmaking and beyond, those are things that we aren't able to do by ourselves, right? Like right. that's why I think we have so much overlap with with our respective organizations and companies is because we put community first. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about like what is that power and the impact that we all can have when we do put community first and we work toward uplifting and supporting each other rather than this sort of like individualistic it can sure. be a very American Western sure. thing mm-hmm. is, is, uh, you know, it one, one for just me. It's not even one for all. It's like, yeah. I'm just looking out for myself and to make money and to advance and I'm going to leave everybody in the dust versus let's all help lift each other up. No. Yeah. It's uh it's a wonderful thing to see, um, for, I mean, for those of you who have worked with community, Upright, uh, uh, you know, with communities, supporting communities will right away notice that it's a completely different feeling, mm. and you start to see the impact exp- exponentially. It's it's wonderful to see uh, where and, and one of the wonderful things about community um, is that you can belong to multiple communities, mm-hmm. right? You 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 have uh, you work communities, you have your local communities, you have uh, professional communities, you have I mean the list is global communities. And so you play different roles in those spaces and you provide and then also take, I suppose, from those community, from the various communities. And that's just such a wonderful thing to see. Um, and so the more communities you see empowered that way, then the more you see of, 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 of representation, the more you see different types of things and even identify things that you didn't even know existed or wanted to be a part of. And um, so community work has always been I guess because community is diverse in that way, it, it can be different things. Um, it's al- it's always been something that we enjoy working with at SeaWave and myself. Just uplifting different kinds of communities has been wonderful mm. to see that how quickly you see results and how exponential it can become very, very quickly. You see the ripple effect for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I love that idea of the ripple effect that working with communities, that we're all a part of different communities and more you do it the bigger the ripple becomes and mm-hmm. you have different communities and eventually sometimes those ripples even intersect mm-hmm. with each other yeah, exactly. right mm-hmm. yeah that's really powerful um, I'm wondering if we can talk about one of those you know s- communities that are having a ripple effect which is your work with Jackson Wild uh, yeah Jackson Wild has I've been a part of the Jackson Wild community for um Oh, I don't know, maybe five years or so. I went there as a, f- they started a fellowship program. We were part of the, I was part of the original cohort. They had a grant from the NSF where they were going to try out a fellowship program and what that might look like. And so they took a group of us um, uh, there. And um, for those of you who don't know what Jackson Wild is, Jackson Wild is a, um, it's not, it's a summit technically. It's a professional summit. So this is where 
um, the BBCs, the Nat Geos, the Discovery Channel folks, they'll go to interact and, and, and have panels and discussions about the state of the industry, about the state of wildlife connected to that industry, how to do things better, mm. um, how to improve upon, not just the, the, the equipment, but uh, the process or, or our impact, whether it, we're talking about the impact on the, on the land or the water of, of, or on, on nature, but also the impact on people. So this is where all the folks go there and, 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 and chat. And also there's uh, pitching opportunities where you know, filmmakers that are trying to pitch ideas that maybe won't get um, an email answered when you, you know, email those, those big networks mm -hmm. that you can sign up and, and pitch your idea. And you never know, they might, you know, contract you or, or commission you, as they say, to make that to make that story. So, um, again, going to Jackson, Jackson Wall, finding that community where usually I was either the biologist who did film mm -hmm. or the filmmaker that's focused on nature there. I was like everybody else mm -hmm. folks there all folks there are either scientists turned filmmakers or journalists turned uh that focused on on science and nature and so everybody had that same has that same overlap and um and so i've been working with them on first i started off as a fellow then i came back as a as a as a sponsor and helping out with their event especially after covid during their virtual event we we built their uh, we produced their virtual event but in addition to that i'm part of the advisory council and one of the things that I focus on as, as an advisory council member is going back to that Latinx uh, uh, storytelling uh, focus for this, uh, this genre of film. So wanting to expand, you know, we work together to try to come up with programs and things like that uh, to bring more Latinos to this event. Is um, it's it can be a big ask. It's uh, it's in Jackson Hole usually. Uh, well, every other year, and then uh, the other year they go somewhere else around mm -hmm. the the world. Um, this year they're going to be in Austria. Ooh. So try to get yeah to get <laughs> folks to <coughs> pay for the the badge itself. Then in addition to that, because it is a professional um, uh, conference, it's not you know it's it's got it's, it's it can be pricey. Then there's the cost of of, of housing of you know being there, and then the cost of the ticket, and if you could even get a visa, depending mm, on what country right. you're coming from, it mm -hmm. can be quite challenging to be there. So having this hybrid event is really has been really nice. Um, but trying to find funding, which is something I've never this is sort of like a new a new sort of focus on. Uh, uh, that I've I've started to go towards is to try to find funding to take more people there yeah. uh, that have that barrier that financial barrier um, and um, and they can go there and pitch their ideas they mm -hmm. can go and watch the panels and see what it's like to be part of this world and maybe it'll get them excited to want to be a part That's of it really or cool. we'll find connections yeah. you know, etc yeah it's super cool um, and so I heard you list a whole swath of challenges right with the work that you right. do I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit more about some of the more challenging pieces of your work. And I, I'm asking you this because I think sometimes from those those maybe more frustrating times or those challenging times come from come a lot of lessons mm -hmm. and a lot of things that make us stronger. So I right. always I would I like to ask people about those moments um, for anybody else out there that might be thinking about entering the space or working in the space and maybe is feeling a little bit down or frustrated with their work to see that you know, we all go through some really tough times. Sure, yeah. It's going to look different depending on, you know, who you are and what you're doing and all of that. But um, I think it's definitely worth our while to spend a little time talking about some of the, the more challenging aspects mm -hmm. of the work. Uh, 
yeah, the the uh, yeah, there's definitely lots of challenges. Um, I think that it's important to, um, I mean, to keep. I, I, I don't even you know I don't even know where to start with this. It's just you you have to just keep. No, you don't have to do anything, I suppose. Uh, but if you <laughs> want to continue uh, in this path, um, you can just keep looking forward. You look for, you know, there are organizations that can help you. There are programs that can help you uh, to try to find ways to. And hopefully, if we're doing our job right, there'll be more and more as the years come that folks can find to, to try to go around these barriers uh, to try to so they can reach whatever goal that they're trying to reach and they can feel welcomed. That's one of the, you know, that's the, unfortunately as a barrier for me as a, as a young professional, not finding myself being represented in wildlife filmmaking um, took me away from, from going straight into wildlife filmmaking for a few years because I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't see that my people reflected back. And, um, and so it took, I went on this other path, which I don't regret because it was wonderful and I learned all these other things. But... Um, but had I been, you know, had I had th that help, it would have been fantastic. So, so look for, maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow. Maybe there's another little path you have to go down before you get, before you realize that, they, uh, as you mentioned, that um, it's uh, it could be something that um, you get lots of lessons from, mm. and you can you not have those lessons in your pocket that bought you the the time or the space or whatever it is that that needed to happen to then eventually get to where you needed to be. Um, but also, but also look out for for help, um, and there might be organizations out there that could, that can help you out. Yeah, and how about some of the more rewarding aspects of the work? Like, what what brings you the most joy in what you do? Uh, seeing people's reactions, seeing, I, I mean, seeing my when I, that same reflection that I had. Uh, basically that that reaction that I had where I was like what this is a thing why I can study this <laughs> yeah. this is amazing seeing that in people's eyes and and whether they're re reacting to a story um, or they're reacting to a career choice or they're reacting just having that giving folks that access um, or helping uh, for them to get that access and having them have that same reaction where I was like what this is this is amazing is um, is is very very you know just making people happy is never a bad thing mm -hmm. right. um i especially for when i show people vr for the first time oh my goodness <laughs> it is it is it is the coolest thing in the world <laughs> where at first they're a little like uneasy they're putting on the headset the yep. gear it's all these controls and things and they're like what's happening and we're, uh, we're, we're trying to reassure them i promise it'll be fine we're here for you if you need us um and then you see that first reaction. They're like, wow, yeah. this is amazing. Or, this is incredible. Childlike wonder. That yeah. childlike exactly. wonder. And they take off the heads and they're like, whoa. They're, they feel like yeah. back in reality. It's like, I just went in this journey and that was magical. That is the most rewarding thing mm. in the world. I love that. That yeah. brought a big smile to my face. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so how can people follow along with the work that you're doing or in touch if they're interested in learning more or collaborating yes yeah, so you can find uh well in a lot of different ways um if you want to go directly through through jacks through um well, it depends if you're interested in jackson wild type of thing um uh you can reach out 
to Jackson Wild, and I, I can be reached through them. If we're if you wanted to connect with Sea Wave Labs, you can go to seawavelabs.com, and that is a, a C, just the letter C, um, and then W A V E L A B S dot com. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm not great at it, <laughs> um, but I will respond. Um, and at Instagram, I'm Mac at um, is it at my Mac Wild Reality is my uh, handle for all of them, and uh, so depending on how you want to connect mm. or you know whether it's a project or whether it's just wanting to chat with me or if it's specifically Jackson Wild related, um, those are the various ways you can reach me. Great, yeah, and so for listeners, if you're connecting to this episode, definitely reach out to Mac, give Mac a follow. Um, we certainly just from our own experience love partnering with oh, her and, and I'm looking at you but saying her because I'm speaking to the listeners but yeah uh, definitely worth collaborating with for sure yeah I mean in all honesty Mac is our director and producer and editor for this whole project that <laughs> yeah. we're doing in like, fact so we're important hats. to this whole entire project and yeah. series and I, so First of all, people should go back and listen to episode one so yes. that you can f- understand like the whole vision of what we're doing. Please. We definitely sing Max praises there and we will sing him here again because mm-hmm. we would be so lost without you for so many reasons. But especially so on this reasons. trip, there would be like no video component or it would be like a piecemeal of us taking like little Instagram videos and trying to like put it to music at the end like not professional at all oh. um, so you you came in and are like total game changer absolutely and so uh, we we always wrap up every episode by asking our guest it's like a lightning round but without the urgency right <laughs> of, like the same que- series of questions it's become a really interesting like social experiment um, so we'll nice. start with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? I don't think we have one. I think there's a, I, I'd ha- I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to cop out and say, <laughs> go the easy route and say, just that I, I honestly tru- truly believe that we don't have one. I think there are many mm-hmm. um, global, locally, at the community level. Yeah. And, and there are, and, and we just need wonderful folks working on those various uh problems uh, issues challenges at the various stages whether it's it's at the government level whether it's that local level level they're all they're all i I mean can we really say deforestation is i mean i suppose we can look at the data some people do some people do (laughs) yeah you're right we can let's i was gonna follow up with that some people look at the data and there are there are arguments to be made there yeah I, i i can see that um but um they're all really important, though. Um, right. It's all interconnected, why should, right? Why should like, we choose? Nothing exists in a silo. Yeah, exactly. There's an, there's a, there's an effect. And uh, if we don't have to choose between clean air or clean water or trees, we shouldn't have to, We should work on all of it. Yes. Um, there's plenty to do. And we just have to get more, you know, wonderful folks. Yeah. Already, there are already wonderful folks working on it, but more wonderful folks yeah. supporting it somehow. So what are you energized about then moving forward for helping us with these multi-layered challenges <laughs> well you know as I, as I mentioned before I um, my if I had to pick one of the various things that I do it is it is storytelling it is filmmaking mm-hmm. so either providing spaces for, for or helping out to find spaces for people to tell their stories 
or 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 myself putting something together that's really what I'm more energized about um, and just giving some of those opportunities uh, to get more stories out there uh, is is what I'm really excited about these days and uh, this last one is a kind of a two-part question you can approach it however you see best fit okay what's the best advice you've ever been given or and or what mm. advice do you have for our listeners Ooh, so what is the best advice that I've been given? So this is um, this is advice that I got actually from my mom, and that was she would always say, um, uh, "Todo tiene solución menos la muerte." And what that translates to is everything has a solution except death. Not that death Whoa. is a terrible thing; it That's is part great. of life. Yeah. But basically, I mean, basically, that what she meant was that um, as long as you're alive and you're here, mm-hmm. you can make choices every day about what you do with your life, with with your family, with your whatever problem might seem too big. You'll find a way to 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 either solve it or be okay with it. Whatever whatever the challenge is, Mom. you just have to keep trying, and yeah. you'll you'll get there. Yeah, moms Deep. are so wise. Yeah, they are. <laughs> well mac thank you so much for joining us today and for all of the effort that you're going to put into helping make this whole trip have the beautiful visual component that it's going to have um and i i actually feel like we couldn't have timed this interview more perfectly because for (laughs) listeners we've we've been like off and on raining here and we found this little window of of um clearing up and now it's Closing. just started drizzling it so is, so drizzling, i think it's yeah. a great time for us to wrap it up <laughs> and uh, get back on the road um so for anybody that is interested in following along make sure to give us a follow at um, healthy ocean co on twitter we are healthy ocean coalition on instagram um if you like this show and want to hear other shows like it uh, absolutely check out the american shoreline podcast network Uh, Anywhere you listen to podcasts, subscribes, rates, and reviews are always very much appreciated. Um, And yeah, stay tuned because up next we are heading to Baltimore. Sure are.